The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Werner Ramirez during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Reverend Ramirez. Please join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, may you speak today. May you speak to our hearts, to our minds, to our souls. Remove me if you need to. In your name we pray, amen. This fall we have been doing a series looking at the things that God loves. God loves justice. God loves mercy. And we've been asking ourselves, how can we love the things God loves? And today the prompt is learning to love youth. And as I thought about this sermon, I thought about the different passages I can use. There are plenty of young people in the Bible that are at the center of the faith, heroes in the Bible. You have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the young prophet Samuel, Mary, the mother of Jesus, James and John, disciples of Jesus. But I landed on a passage where we have Jesus as a 12-year-old boy in the temple. And this passage shares so much about how to love our youth. But before we get to this passage, I need to ask a question to our parents here. And I want you to be honest, maybe a raise of hands. How many of you have ever lost a child at a grocery store or something like that? All right, that's a good chunk of you. Wow. I remember being about five or six years old, and my dad took me to an L.A. salsa match. And you might be thinking, what the heck is the L.A. salsa? Before Major League Soccer, there was a semi-pro league, and the L.A.-based team was the L.A. Salsa. And my dad took me to this game. Now, going to soccer matches was not foreign for me. My dad would take me all the time when we lived in Guatemala. We would see our beloved Municipal play. But a little context. I've always had a big appetite. I love to eat. And the biggest reason I would love going to soccer matches were for the concession food. So here I am at my first L.A. Salsa match, and it's halftime, and I tell my dad, hey, tengo hambre, I'm hungry. And he says, all right, I'm going to get some nachos. Do not move from the seat. Now, he knew that I hated waiting in lines, but what he didn't know was that I hated waiting for him even more. So I got impatient, and it felt like hours had gone by, and I'm sure it was just like three to five minutes. And I get up and I go and look for him and I can't find him. So I go back to my seat and I see the nachos in the seat, but I don't see my dad. And this is when the waterworks come in. I just start crying. I go and look for him. I still can't find him. I finally find a police officer and I beg the police officer, please don't arrest my dad once you find him. I thought he was in serious trouble for losing me. But finally, we found my dad. And I asked my dad about this not that long ago. And he said that was one of the scariest moments of his life. But yet when he went back to the seat, he instantly knew that I was missing. What if you didn't know that your child was missing for a whole day? Let us look at the word of the Lord as it comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, starting at verse 41. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival ended, 
and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was with a group of travelers, they went on a day's journey. They started to look for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understandings and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years, and in divine and human favor. This is the word of the Lord for you, the people of God. Like I said, my dad was probably gone from five to ten minutes before he noticed that I was missing. It took Jesus' parents one whole day to realize that he was missing. Now you might be thinking, how on earth does this happen? How do they not know that their 12-year-old is missing? Now before you give Joseph and Mary a hard time, let me give you some context to all of this. Every year it was custom for them to travel to Jerusalem for Passover. And from Nazareth, it was about a three-day travel. Now each family wouldn't travel alone. The whole family would go, and maybe not just the family, but the whole neighborhood. They would all travel together. This caravan or block party would travel to Jerusalem not only for community, but also for safety to keep each other safe from traveling thieves and robbers. Now, Jesus is 12 years old, and I think you could imagine a conversation between him and, and his parents. Mary says something like, Jesus, we're leaving now. And Jesus responds with, okay, I'll be, th- I'll be right there, I'll be right there. And then time goes by, and he loses track of time, and he's left behind. After a day, his parents realize that he's missing. It takes them another day to get back to Jerusalem, and then they cannot find him for three days. Do the math. Jesus was missing for five days. It's like home alone lost in Jerusalem. (laughs) Yet they find him. And where do they find him? Jesus is in the temple courts listening to the teachers and asking them questions, and everyone was amazed at his understandings. Jewish boys at that time, they dreamed of becoming a rabbi one day. What they really wanted was for a rabbi to ask them to be a disciple. So they would go to school. They would learn the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And this education was intense. And only the best of the best would move on to education, to further education. And during their training, they were taught that the best way to show their understanding of the scriptures was not by answering a question, but by asking good questions. If one only knew the answer to the question, it would just just show that they knew the facts. But if they asked a good question, it showed great understanding of those facts. So here we have Jesus hanging out with the teachers of the law, asking questions, revealing his understandings of the scripture at such a young age. And the teachers of the law were amazed. They were learning from a boy They were learning from a youth. And I get it. As somebody who works with our youth, 
I get that feeling of being amazed whenever one of our students asks a good question. I like it when they answer questions, but when they ask a question, it shows their curiosity. I can see their wheels turning and their desire to want to know who God is. Not long ago, one of our youth asked a question and, and was doubting. Why are all these people dying in this passage? I don't understand this about God's character. And I responded by saying, I struggle with the same thing. I have those same questions. But what if I said something different? What if I said, how dare you question God's character? God can do whatever God wants. That would not be an appropriate way to answer his question. And it would probably prevent him from asking even any more questions. For too long, the Christian church has told students just the facts about scripture and God and have not let students ask questions. And once they get to college or even before college, these questions arise and there's nobody there to journey with them. So what happens? They leave the church. What better place for them to ask those questions than here in the temple? And by the temple, I mean the church. And by the church, I don't mean this building, but I mean us, the body of Christ. What if us, the body of Christ, was the place where teenagers can come with these big theological questions, but also with their anxieties about life? What if the people of this church can be the people they can come to to seek guidance about the pressures of life? What if we were the ones they trusted to talk about their relationships, their sexual identity, family issues, poverty? Again, if we look at this passage, Jesus is not asking these questions with just other teenagers, but he was doing so with the teachers there, learning and engaging with them. What a powerful image of what the church should look like when it comes to student ministry and children's ministry. Not secluded and separate, but together. Living together. There's a, a video, a TED Talk video by Victor Wooden, um, an American bass player. He's a composer and a producer. And in that video, he shares that he thinks that music is a language. That music is a form of expression with others that can be read or written it can make you laugh, cry, question. It could speak to one or it could speak to many. He goes on to say that although many musicians agree that music is a language, that it rarely gets treated that way. That for many, music is only learned by strict regiment and only under the guidance of a skilled teacher. And this approach is successful if followed, through, followed thoroughly, but it often takes a long time. He then continues to ask the viewer to think about the way you first learned to speak, the way you first learned language. We never spoke language correctly at first. We were allowed to make mistakes. Learning to speak was not just a place we were sent to a few times a week. And the majority of people that we spoke to were not beginners. What if parents would only let babies speak with other babies until they were adults? they probably wouldn't have a proficient conversation until much later in life. But yet as babies, we were, learned, we, we were able to learn by speaking with adults. And Wooden says, as a baby, you were allowed to jam with professionals. He then asks, what if children learn music in a similar way than we learn to speak? He poses questions like, what if kids, what if young musicians played with accomplished musicians? 
What could happen if kids played their instruments more than they practice? He even jokes that on the air guitar, you never hit a wrong note. But he argues that once you play, you will practice on your own. And what he says at the end of the video is nothing short of beautiful. The language works best when you have something interesting to say. And often, many music teachers don't know what their students have to say and only tell them what to say. What if we treated the language of faith in the same manner? What if having students and children always separated from adult worship is like teaching a baby to speak by only sending them to speak with other babies? In the passage, we see Jesus engaging with the rest of the temple. What if we were better together than separate? This is why after second grade in this service, in the 11 a.m. service, we want children in this service. Because we want the children to be part of us, to be with the rest of the family. And you know what? Sometimes children will get bored, and they will wrestle around, you'll hear their candy wrappers. That's okay. They are here. They are part of our church family. That's why it's okay to have babies in this service. And sometimes babies cry. That's okay. And if we're going to be a church that says all are welcome, that includes our young ones and babies. I'm not going to lie to you. One of my biggest pet peeves for theological reasons is that when a baby cries in a service and looking out and seeing the look of annoyed faces. Friends, be happy that there are babies among us. There is life. Nurture them. Yes, I desire for our children and our youth to be more part of our worship. That is why on the last Sunday of the month, you will see some of our youth collecting the offering. That's why you will see our youth on our elder board. But imagine what could happen if this church would let our youth ask more questions and, evolve, and involve them even more. What could we learn from them? In my experience of working with teenagers for over 15 years, they have a lot to say, and it's often very good. My mentor, Reverend Dr. Kenda Creasy-Dean, in one of my youth ministry classes, taught us about presbycusis. Have you heard of presbycusis? It has nothing to do with Presbyterianism. Presbycusis is a type of hearing loss that comes with age, and almost every adult ha has it. Like, the older you get, you lose a little bit of your hearing. Now, a British scientist invented a thing called the teen buzz. There were many teens who were loitering in stores in England, and he invented this teen buzz because he knew, because of presbycusis, they could hear something that the adults couldn't. It was this high-pitched sound that was terrible. So whenever they were loitering, he would put it on and they would leave. <laughs> but then the teenagers got their revenge, and they took the teen buzz and created the mosquito ringtone so they could have their phones on during class and the teachers had no idea that their phones were going off. Brilliant. So I wonder, what if we adults had spiritual and biblical presbycusis? That with our age and our stubbornness, there was something we were not able to hear. And the only ones that could hear it were our youth. What if God has been speaking and we have had presbycusis. Perhaps it's time to hear from our youth of what God is doing in our world. 
And there's no way I can preach a sermon about learning to love youth by learning from them and including them more if I did not ask them to share. So friends, I would like to introduce you to my friend, Elder Harrison Pacayo. Harrison is a senior in our youth group. He was our elder last year, and I have seen him live out his faith in words and in actions. Please welcome Elder Harrison. Hello, my name is Harrison Pacayo, and I'm a proud member of the youth group here at FEPC, as well as an elder and confirmand. Growing up, my mother told me something that has continued to stick with me. In everything you do, try to make the world a little bit more like it is in heaven. Because of this, the Bible has always been a book of love for me, and a reminder that the journey to protect and foster love can be a hard one. I am reminded of passages like Matthew 19:24. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Or Luke 1:46. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And even as we turn our swords into plowshares, we must understand that God's project and God's enemies have not ended with the resurrection. The Bible is a text with profound political implications today, and it is no metaphor that Jesus was killed by empire for his defiance. His message of love and peace rubbed against regimes that's only goal was to preserve their power and wealth, and the biblical quest is one to end injustice everywhere. I believe today's world finds us in a crisis of biblical proportions, and we look, need, look, need not look any further than the daily news. Yet I cannot help but be confused when I see people think, how could things have gotten this bad? For me and my generation, we inherited a broken world and have been told to clean it up. We can see this process everywhere, from the teens in Parkland, Florida, fighting the good fight for better gun control, or in people like Greta Thunberg, traveling across the world to articulate the climate's rage to the UN directly. The photo on your bulletin was actually taken by our lovely youth pastor Warner when I spoke at Borough Hall in favor of better gun legislation. When speaking and looking out in the crowd, one that didn't look too different from what I'm looking at today, except instead of suits and ties, it was jeans and hoodies, I saw a generation of leaders. That was confirmed earlier this month when I attended a protest against increased NYPD involvement in the MTA. When taking to the streets all around me, I saw people acting out God's will and God's love before my very eyes healing each other's wounds when they fell, singing songs and chants to cheer each other up, providing free food and water to those that surrounded them. It was a warmth that could pierce through any political, political cynicism. And when you are born into the chaos, you find peace in these smaller things. So now we are at that eternal question. What is to be done? What do we do? How do we solve this? And to that, I don't think I have all the answers, but I may have something better. For we cannot know what we should do if we don't know what we can do, and our generation is constantly testing our abilities. There seems to be no limit to what we are capable of, from traveling across the planet to show the UN how we feel, to taking the streets of Brooklyn hostage until police violence ends. We may not have the answers, but we are making the world a little bit more like it is in heaven. The answers are out there, and we're all looking for them. We are looking in our communities, in our Bibles, and in ourselves for the best path forward. All we ask is that you listen and take us seriously. And I've begun to find these answers within FAPC, within its incredible faculty and the people that are willing to listen to students 
like me. And maybe you don't want to listen to people like me, or maybe you don't want to listen to children. That's fine. You don't have to take my word for it. You can take Jesus's. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child in my name welcomes me. Thank you. To our youth, Harrison is right. You're capable of so much. God is using you. God is speaking to you. God is using you to make this place a little bit more like heaven. To the rest of us adults, let's take them seriously. One of the things that I love about this passage is that Mary and Joseph assumed that he was with the rest of the caravan, a tribe of people who cared for all. Friends, let's learn to love our youth better. Involve them more. Get to know them more. Learn from them. Let's be their caravan. They are not the church of the future, but the church of the here and the now. Amen. Friends, at at youth group, I often tell our youth, if you remember anything that I say to you, remember that you are loved and that you are enough. So today as the benediction, know that the world often tells you something different, that you're not enough unless you look a certain way. You're not enough unless you get that test score. You're not enough unless you get that promotion or your body feels well. Those are lies. Friends, through the grace of Jesus Christ, you are loved and you are enough. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Thank you.